Hello, my name is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I've been interviewing celebrities since 1984 when I trained as a journalist. I'm now turning a selection of those interviews into podcasts for a collection called the PJ Archive. The second is with the American singer and actor David Cassidy, who shot to stardom from 1970 in the musical sitcom The Partridge Family and became arguably the biggest teen idol ever. He had a string of huge hits and sold-out concerts around the world and played the lead in stage shows in the UK as well as the USA. Sadly, the last years of David's life were troubled with divorce, bankruptcy and alcoholism. He died from liver failure in 2017, aged only 67. My interview with him took place in 2002, when, as you'll hear, he seemed very contented, living in Las Vegas with his third wife Sue, mother of his son Beau. I began by asking David... What was it like growing up in 50s New York? Well, the world was a very, very different place, and uh, New York was uh, uh, has always been, at least in um, my consciousness, the center of the universe, and my parents were in the theater, and you know, both of them worked actively uh, all the time in shows, and I think my father in particular gave me a real strong understanding of uh, the difficulties in going into the business that I pursued, and I, I think um, there was a real innocence about the world that um, no longer exists, yeah. but it was a very exciting place to be, as it, it still is, but um, for me, it, it's always been my home in my heart. And how did you feel about moving to Los Angeles as a youngster? Well, I, I wanted to be closer to my dad, and he had moved um, with uh, Shirley to uh, Los Angeles, so my mom, who was an actress, also had a motivation to do so for her own personal career and it just seemed like the right thing but i I, growing up in um, los angeles in the 60s as a teenager was the best time to be in that environment because of the music and the culture and what was going on in the 60s and southern california was really the mecca of a lot between san francisco and la seeing a lot of the fantastic artists bands you know, I saw Marvin Gaye and B.B. King and, you know, uh, Eric Clapton and Cream. And, you know, I saw so many great artists that um, influenced me. Otis Redding. And I saw Hendrix five times. You know, to be around and alive and in that environment was a very stimulating one. So in retrospect, I'm really happy that I was able to be there and be a part of that. And, um when, uh, when you were in the Partridge family, how did their screen home compared to your own then? Uh, my home was uh, <laughs> my home was my suitcase, oh, right. and uh, I, I was never terribly concerned about furnishings and such. Right. Uh, particularly in the first year of being there, because I was, you know, scraping by, just making a living um, as actors and you know young artists do. Um, I, li- I had orange crates and uh, a mattress, basically. Oh. Um, you know, it was vastly different. Um, but when you became successful, to what extent did you invest your money in property? Actually, quite uh, quite extensively. I, I found myself being drawn to places like uh, Hawaii, and um, I bought a fairly large piece of property, uh, a ranch uh, in California, and... Um, 
I, I think I found myself more than buying palatial homes. I was interested in land and real estate uh, as a place for me to settle, and yeah. ultimately it ended up being a good investment for me. To what extent were your homes visited or even invaded by fans, and how did your neighbors feel about it? Well, a number of times I had to move in the middle of the night uh, in order so they wouldn't follow the vans and uh, follow us to our new location. And, um, you know, people used to camp out in front of my home uh, in Encino, and the first three houses I had were refuges for people who (laughs) didn't have either their own home or had been run away to try and find me. So um, it, it... became a, a real serious problem and I had to have security living on the property. How aware were you then that pictures of you were plastered over the bedroom walls of teenagers all over the world and did you ever see any examples of that? I saw them every day. Um, I got, you know, I mean at one point I think we were getting 50,000 fan letters a week. So when you're talking about those kinds of volumes, obviously you can't read off the mail, but mail that I would get, fan mail that I would be able to read, a lot of them would send me photographs of their bedrooms and things like that. And, uh, I heard from people all the time um, that that was the case. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was constantly aware of it from the media because they would talk to me and ask me about it. When were you first able to walk the streets of the U.S. or the U.K. relatively unbothered? <laughs> That's assuming I have been. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know exactly the moment, but um, I spoke with, at one point during the, the height of all of this, I had a dinner with John Lennon, and I, I talked with him about it, and uh, he, he described his own um, his own experience as the demystification, trying to have the world understand that he was just a man he was trying to get on with his life and have a family and um, I think that that kind of became he became a very good role model for me in that respect and trying to just be a guy and have a life and um, I'm sure it was a few years afterwards that I felt comfortable enough and confident enough to where I could do that Am I right in thinking that you live in Las Vegas now? Oh, I have for the last uh, six years, yeah, because uh, I've been performing here. Well, I performed here for five, and the last year we've been out touring, and I still use this as a base, and I produce and write a big hit show that's been here now for three years called The Rat Pack is Back. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I've played here during the past year a few times, too, so it just makes sense. My son's in school here, and... Um, as I performed here for five consecutive years, I think, you know, there was no, no other alternative for me at the time. But most people know it as a great place to visit. What's it like to actually live there? It's actually very different from the Strip experience. And um, you, you wouldn't know, I live, you know, 12 to 15 minutes from the Strip, and you wouldn't know that the Strip existed. Um, Obviously, when you come into town and you take a, you fly into Las Vegas and you take a cab or a car to your hotel, and that's your experience. You think that's what Las Vegas is. But the people that work here and live here, there is a million seven hundred thousand people that live here now, and 
none of them live on the strip. Right. So it's a very different experience, and it's very family-oriented. Schools are excellent. And um, it's been a wonderful uh, platform for me in terms of the work and uh, for me to have you know, a very good balance in my life. Can you tell us a little bit about your home? Uh, sure, I can tell you quite a lot about it if you'd like. Please. I, I mean, I, it's, uh, this particular house that we live in now is a very large uh, Mediterranean-style. Um, it has uh, six bedrooms. Um, I built an office attached to it, which is my dream office. Um, it has 17, 18-foot ceilings and wow. large beams, uh, fireplace. It's probably about... Uh, 2,500 square feet, the office itself. We have a guest house. It's about two acres. And uh, it's extremely private. I have over 100 trees on the property. God. And um, y- you might be somewhere in the northeast here, um, or in the northwest here, for that matter. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything to you all, but it's very green right. and quite lush. Right. And um, how much evidence or memorabilia of your career is there at your home? Very limited. Um, I have, as I'm staring in my office, I have a few of my old gold records and things that I have never hung that are over in a corner. I have on my desk one photograph that someone sent me that... um, was taken on the opening night of Blood Brothers on Broadway um, of the Music Box Theater uh, in New York. And um, other than that, um, it's mostly just personal and family. Um, There are no uh, trophies, and um, as I said, I haven't hung a gold record of my own up here. Have you ever considered living in the UK? I have. I've said this probably many times there are two other cities I would consider probably if I had lived outside of the United States and one would be Toronto and the other would be London right. and uh, I think that because of my work and because of what I do and the fact that I have friends still in, in London and, and in the UK not just in London but also in the UK um, you know I've always felt I've spent months there um, where you get a chance to know the people and the environment and the, the lay of the land. And um, I've always felt very welcome and very much at home there. And uh, Talking of welcome. Although it had been a long time since I've been back, yeah. when I was there in November, it had been, God, I don't know how many years, but it felt like uh, coming home. But when you arrived at London Airport, did this, to what extent do you reflect back on the days when your arrival caused mass hysteria? You know, I try never to live in the past, always to live in the present. And, and, you know, my life has always been about the work that I do today, um, as much as I have very fond memories of all of those experiences, really. Um, I didn't ever really think about it, to be honest with you. Um, If someone reminds me of it, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had those experiences many, many different places all over the world. It wasn't just at London's Heathrow. I think it was Mm. many different locations sure sure so um again i don't dwell on the past i think about um my present and and my future 
Quite right. I hope you don't mind me asking you this, but to what extent did the death of a girl at one of your London concerts cause you to walk away from your pop career at the top? It did not have any influence. I had already announced nine months prior to that um, that I was ending that chapter of my career, and I ended it at the top. Um, I felt somewhat... I never felt responsible for it because her parents... I called her parents the next day. But I think the media really wanted to have a go at me and tried to make yeah. somehow or another like I was a, uh, responsible in some respect. And mm. that was the reason. I think it made good copy. That was the reason that I walked away from it. Um, have you had any contact with her family since? No, I haven't. I called um, a couple of days afterwards um, just to send my condolences and to say how terribly sorry I was. And, um, they were fantastic. Right. Um, they said, you know, it was it was her most cherished um, wish that she wanted to be at your show. She had had a heart condition. You know, she wasn't crushed or any of that. She got so excited, she just um, had a heart attack. And they, you know, she had had a heart condition. They knew about it. And um, it's what she wanted more than anything in the world. So... They uh, certainly never blamed me, and they really appreciated the fact that it took the time to, to call them. And I sent her, I sent them flowers, just uh, a note, and um, you know, it was very, very tragic for them. And um, David, have you ever wished you hadn't quit your pop career when you did? No. The reason I have a, a career today and I have a happy life that I have is walking away from it at the top when you're playing stadiums and doing it for five years, there was nothing more I could do in that experience. And um, I devoted literally seven days a week, 16 to 18 hours a day, to nothing more than the business of David Cassidy. And I really needed to get on with my life and, you know, do something else. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at that time. But um, it's the reason that I've been able to have another career and, you know, two or three. Why it? Thirty years later, I'm I'm probably more successful and happier than I've ever been. Well, that, that's great to hear. But why why did you leave it so long to come back? You in the UK are like come back. You mean to come back to the UK? No, to return. I've been to... working nonstop here for oh, the past decade. I totally a, respect without that. Without a break. Oh no, I respect that totally, Dave. I completely understand. I know what you've been doing over there. All your producing. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 but I mean your pop so career. To come back. But I mean um, your pop career. To return to your pop career over you know doing well, concerts. You know, I worked in the theater, and I wrote yeah. and produced songs and shows. I've, I've produced a television series and um, film um, uh, shows here in Las Vegas. And, and it's just, like, I've been fortunate enough to be successful in, in so many different areas and mediums that I, I just don't, I don't necessarily think it hasn't been the sole reason for my existence in um, the entertainment business. And, um... I think it's so much, for me, more rewarding now. Um, I haven't been out playing these songs thousands of times. I'm not sick of them. It's kind of like you open up a chest and you find these great jewels. And um, they've been um, wanting to hear me and wanting to see me perform them, and some of them I haven't performed for 25 years. Does having become a father give you more empathy about the way teenage fans used to behave towards you? Well, I, I don't know that um, I didn't ever feel empathy about it. Um, 
my my son is a very insightful guy and you know he really appreciates the uh, the way my fans have been so incredibly loyal and the way they react to me and how much I care about them and putting it out for them and he sees the kind of work that's necessary um, I suppose it gives you an opportunity to be more insightful about everything being a father yeah. about every human experience how aware are you that many of those teenagers are still fans of yours now even though they've grown up to be mature people well I'm very aware of it because I've been performing live for the past 10 years here and um, um, as you were at Hammersmith and um, you saw one of the shows yeah there are a lot of people that uh, I communicate with my fans and get their feedback from my website at davidcassidy.com and I get an awful lot of feedback from them now it's been a great tool um, they were responsible for choosing some of the set some of the songs that I'm going to be doing live I've asked for their input and give me your top three favorite songs that you'd want me to play and mm-hmm. um, it, it's been great because I get to hear from them and I get to communicate with them And why do you think they're still fans of yours? Uh, you know you can answer that more than I can I think um, there are there are certain undetermined factors that go into why people have longevity certainly it helps if you have real commitment and, and talent but more than that I, I couldn't explain it then why I had the largest fan club in history and why you know, it was so massively successful for years in the 70s. And I can only say that, you know, the kind of loyalty, particularly in, in like, the U.K., because I haven't been there in so long, that it, it makes it that much more special and that much, to me, more extraordinary that without, you know, them seeing me or being there and actively pursuing it, they've been such uh, incredibly loyal and supportive fans. How does it affect you to know that many of the women in your audiences believe that you're singing only to them? Oh, I don't know that that's true. (laughs) So, um, uh, if they do, that's great. I can only tell you that when I go and see shows that uh, I would know an artist's repertoire, for instance, if I went and saw Elton John or if I saw Sting, I would want them to sing a lot of the hits yeah. that I know, as well as their present. And I think providing you continue to have a present and you continue to make music or to do whatever it is that one does, write songs and be creative, um, in, the, in the now as opposed to just being a, a nostalgia act, I think that all of us feel a certain personal connection with the music and the songs. Talking of repertoire. I do when I go and see other artists. Yeah. Talking of your repertoire, why don't you sing the puppy song these days? Oh, you never know that I might not. Um, If it gets more requests, I may again. Um, You know, I've got a number of hits that I didn't sing. Yeah. Um, Again, I took some real input and feedback from the fans about songs they wanted to hear most. Somebody asked me the other day, how come you didn't sing if I didn't care? How come you didn't sing... um, was the other song? Oh, some kind of summer. How come yeah. you didn't sing? Um, please, please me or something like that. And I went, yeah. well, I I could. It's just I don't want to. You know, I've got twenty albums worth of material. 
plus shows I've done here in in Las Vegas, plus Broadway. Sh- you know, um, at some point you have to pick and choose what you're going to do, and um, I'm going to do a few different things. And do you fear becoming a prisoner of your success again? No, not at all. I, you know, a prisoner of your success would be, you know, a prisoner of somebody who has. Um, an enormous amount of goodwill out there on, in the planet from from people who have obviously uh, I've had an impact on their life and, and have made my life uh, a blessed thing. What did you think of the film Come On Get Happy and what's your relationship with Danny Bonaducci like now? I never saw the film so I have no idea. Um, I heard it was not terribly well done um, but Danny and I are really good friends and um, he, he actually opened for me about two or three weeks ago uh, oh. when um, I went and played in, uh, about an hour from Los Angeles. He came down and, and opened did 15, 20 minutes of stand-up. Have there so, been... Yeah, we're, we're good pals, actually. Have there been big money offers for a Partridge Family reunion, and what would your response be? Uh, there have been many, and I have turned down... Um, many, many, many times uh, lots of money to do it. But the only reason anyone would do it would be for money at this point. And fortunately, I don't need to do that. Um, my response would be, uh, thank you, but no, I'm not interested in doing that. Not because there wouldn't be tremendous interest in it, but I think it would paint the forever uh-huh. what I, we wa- I walked away from and what was perfect because it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it was incredibly successful, and it goes on and on. So I'm happy that people loved it, but I don't want to mess with the integrity of it, and I'm, frankly, there would be no purpose in doing it other than getting a big check. How do you feel about the fact that whatever you do, you will probably always be best remembered as a teen idol? Well, I don't choose to believe that, but you, you again, have a different reference to me than over here in sure. America, I think um, I want to be best remembered as somebody who is one of the select few that has gone on and had a long and successful career beyond that. I, I don't mind that, you know, I suppose Elvis had to deal with it, Frank Sinatra had to deal with it, um, I'm sure the Beatles in their own way, and, you know, at times uh, um, it, it Becomes almost an albatross around your neck because you're constantly battling um, people's perception, particularly in the media that continue to put in parentheses of your name, David, former teen heartthrob, yeah. Cassidy. Yeah. And it, it, yes, I was at one point, but my brother Sean actually once said, you know, I've been producing and writing television shows now, and this is him speaking for 10 years. Yeah. And even when they're talking about me as a writer and a producer, I'm a former teen heartthrob, brother of David Cassidy, <laughs> that I'm going to have to murder someone so it'll say, Sean, ex- <laughs> homicide freak. <laughs> so that you have something else that they can hang on you. Um, in my case, I'm just happy to be doing what I'm doing today and working and being successful in my life today. And, you know, we can characterize my life and career any way that the media chooses to do it. I'm what would you like for your future career now? 
uh, I want to continue to do what I'm doing now for at least another year or two. Um, I'm having the best time in my life. I haven't been out doing this for the last three decades. So I'd love to go back and work in the theater again. Um, I may do another television show, another television series. Right. I've gone and met with, in the last two months, I've gone and met with a couple of the networks regarding projects about doing that. And, uh, you know, I want to be able to work, but I also want to be able to have a balance so that I can stay involved in my my family and my son's life. So this provides me with a great opportunity to do that. I can go out and perform for, you know, I do two or three dates and then I come home or I'll go out for a couple of weeks, like to the U.K. in April when I'm coming over, and then I'll come back. But my family's going to come with me um, to the U.K. when I go away for more than, like, a week. Will you ever retire, or will you bop till you drop? <laughs> oh, I'm definitely into bop till you drop. <laughs> I'm definitely into that. And in fact, I don't know where you got that phrase, but I, I used to quote that bop till you drop. <laughs> that used to be something that I, I used to think about um, as a great uh, album title. Yeah. Was it an album title? I'm not sure. I, 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 I was, think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was someone pretty cool as I recall up to your drop um, how hard is it to grow older in this business especially considering your looks were once so celebrated well I, I, you know frankly it, it, the alternative sucks because yeah. you're six feet under so yeah. it's not hard to grow old in this business if you have success I would imagine that it's very difficult to grow old in this business if nobody cares <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel now though when you see pictures and film of yourself from your teen idol days how do I feel? Um, yeah, I, I have a good, I have a good feeling about it. You know, I'm proud of everything that I was able to accomplish, and I'm proud of the fact that I've been able to go on and and recreate and have so many other successful ventures in my life, and that I'm a happy, you know, relatively well-adjusted uh, guy, and and. That is probably more than anything that I'm, I feel good about. And I, you know, I, I see myself and, of course, I recognize myself, but it's almost like another lifetime. Yeah. And, and how different is the real you to the sort of public image we have of you? I don't know what the public Im- image that you have of me is, except what you're talking to is the real me. And I, I don't know how people perceive me other than, I try and be as real and open and as honest as I can be. And what ambitions do you have outside show business? I want to win the Kentucky Derby, <laughs> and I want to win the Breeders' Cup. All right. I'm an avid horseman and breeder owner, right. uh, racing fan, and I have been my entire life, and am very involved. Um, I own probably 30 horses, and, uh, breeding as well as racing. For all your professional success, you've suffered your fair share of personal difficulties. Is that the way you feel life goes, just sort of balancing out? Well, I don't know anyone who hasn't um, experienced their own personal uh, difficulties. And, and, you know, we have our own paths that we all must uh, carry on through. And how you deal with those difficulties and those conflicts and those pitfalls and, you know, the painful experience of losing your parents and, you know, losing your closest friends. Um, I think that those are the things that, that I'm probably the most 
proud of in my own journey is that I've been able to um, address it and to not um, to not hide from it, but to to cope with it, deal with it, and get on with my own personal journey, and to be honest and and understand that the mistakes and the the fragility that we all have, you know, it, it, it's being human, and that there are painful experiences that go on in all of our lives, and um, I'm not an exception. I'm much more, um, I think, I'm more open about it because I can be, and I, I have addressed it and have been through, you know, a lot of analysis, and I have, have no fear of any of it, about sharing any of that. You've said before that you wanted to be a very different father than your dad was to you. Do you feel you're, su- <laughs> do you, you feel you're succeeding in that, do you? Oh, unquestionably. And um, I, I think that, you know, just making it a priority has been a completely different approach. My, my father was a fantastic man in so many ways, but he was not someone who was ever... Being a father was never a priority in his life, and being as narcissistic as he was, he found it impossible, really, to be outside of his own uh, needs and his own uh, emotional scarring and from his own childhood. And I think, you know, I, I show up at my son's baseball and basketball games, and I'm involved in doing his homework with him, and, you know, it's a totally different experience. So, yes, I have succeeded wholeheartedly, I think, in that. Do you wish you had more children? No, I'm happy. I, I don't know that my own personal um, my own personal feelings is that less is more in terms of the quality time that you can spend. I, I think you have to spread yourself too thin with too many kids. How difficult was it settling down when you could have had any girl you wanted? Oh, I don't know. I, I can't, frankly... I think I just met someone that I connected with and uh, found um, I wanted to uh, share, you know, a real intimacy with and and uh, kind of have a safe haven and someone that I felt uh, we had a real bond and I don't think it was difficult. May we know how and when you met Sue? She's a very successful songwriter, singer, and has been for many years. Mm-hmm. She showed up at a party. Um, she was signed to the same label I was signed to. And the one of the um, executives of the label brought her to the party. Uh-huh. And um, about a half an hour into the party, I realized that this person was somebody that I really wanted to spend time with alone. And there were about 20, 30, 30 people, let's say, there. And um, I just quietly said, you know what, guys, I'm really tired, and um, I hate to be rude, but I'm going to go, and um, Sue and I are going to sit and write a song together, and, and the rest was history. Oh, lovely. David, can we have a final message to your fans over here? Yes, I think I love you. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much indeed. God bless. Lovely and, uh, talking to you. Come back and see you. Nice to talk to you too, buddy.